Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. It's uh, Roxanne. Uh, thanks for tuning in again this week. Uh, this week I have Beverly Barman King. Did I say it right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Beverly is a colleague of mine and uh, the president of the Canadian Association of uh, Professional Speakers in Toronto, uh, an organization that I recently uh, joined about a year ago and I feel quite privileged to uh, you know, be um, in her company. So Beverly, thanks for coming on today. Oh, you're welcome. So Beverly talks, um, Beverly's a resiliency expert. So I'm going to read a little bit about her bio. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, her principle, which is called the SOS principle. She's, uh, she, Beverly has been uh, in the field for over 20 years. She used her proprietary SOS principle with people and organizations who want to control their reactions to stress, build resiliency against life challenges, and live healthy, successful lives. As a stress and resiliency expert, she is a sought-after media spokesperson and has represented high-profile brands such as Expedia, TD Insurance, and P&G. She has made over 500 television uh, appearances and radio appearances on things such as City TV and CBC and with national publications from the Toronto Star newspaper to Chatelaine. Wow, interesting. She's a highly respected speaker and is one of uh, one of less than 70 Canadians who have have their certified speaking professional designation, which is a big designation uh, for speakers in, in uh, our organization. The SOS principle, um, Beverly believes that resiliency can be learned. That's why she builds unique presentations covering specific work and life challenges with strategies based on her SOS principle. Is there anything, Beverly, that you think that you'd like to add that I know sometimes the, the uh, bios are written and it's, it's all encompassing, but is there anything that you think you'd like to add that uh, people uh, listening in, um, to us today might want to know? Uh, let's see. I am a mother of two young men who are now going to be uh, in, a, in a week or so, 22 and 20. Uh, uh, I live in the middle of the uh, cottage country in Ontario. So that's my respite place that I traveled back to. And uh, as we were talking earlier, I am a karate instructor. So uh, as part of my give back to the community, I have uh, uh, two groups of uh, little boys and girls that uh, come out for karate with me. Wow, that's amazing when you just told me that. I, I didn't know that. I hadn't heard that uh, in the year I'd been with CAPS, but I guess it's, it's a, out of a different context. So Beverly, I'm, uh, the reason I wanted to invite you on, obviously, you know, with my background, I've been a psychotherapist for over 25 years. I've worked in corporate consulting um, in um, wellness strategies with companies. And my brand is about authenticity and, and staying connected. And so tell me, kind of you've been in the field of speaking as a keynote for well over 20 years what got you interested what's your background and what kind of lured you into the uh, the field of speaking and training 
it was it was a something that I'd never thought that I would do. If uh, if I go back into my history, um, I hated public speaking. Um, okay. And if my English teacher in grade thirteen could see me now, would be absolutely amazed that this is what I actually do to make money. So. Um, I fell into this profession. I was a consultant with the Canadian Mental Health Association. And they brought me on because I was doing stress uh, training for first year students in college and universities. And uh, I was good at putting presentations together. They taught me a, a lot of the background and information that I needed around mental health issues. So everything from you know, depression to suicide awareness and, and uh, everything in between. And as I was doing that, I was building up their business and I was also starting, you know, I would get people who wanted me to do it outside of the Toronto area because it was for the Canadian Mental Health Association in Toronto. And it, it just it organically grew to the point where um, I was doing presentations across Canada on everything from stress to mental health to what can organizations do to promote that mental health within their, within their companies and with their employees. It's interesting. It's amazing to even believe that, right? Because when I see you in front of the room, as I, at the last meeting, one would never know that you, you didn't like public speaking. You're such a natural. Oh, thank you. So let's talk a little bit about um, stress. And as, as I know in my practice and just from being out there in con the consulting world, that we know that it's, a, it's the way we perceive things that kind of impacts how we interpret events and then ultimately outcome. So when you go out there to companies, what, what is the main stressors that are, or is there, are there like a theme of stressors that people uh, might bring forward to you um, to kind of consult on? I think there, you know, when we talk about the themes, so big categories, uh, you know, work, family, and money would be the top three. But then within those, you know, it's, how do, I, how do I have time for me and for all the things that I want to do so that I'm not feeling burnt out and overwhelmed? How do I deal with attitudes and behaviors of the people around me? I find that um, dealing with other people tends to be a major source of stress. And then, you know, how do I um, make it work generally overall? So not just about how do I have balance for myself, but how can I make sure that my family is being taken care of? And how do I make sure that, um, you know, I don't drop the ball on all of this other stuff, like the chores and all those other kinds of things that need to be done. When we talk about in the workplace, you know, it's, it's how do I have a rhythm? I don't mind being busy and I don't mind working really hard, but how do I have that rhythm so it's not just push, 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 um, where I don't even have time to, you know, get up out of my chair or go to the bathroom or have lunch or any of those types of things. So it's about being able to manage all of that in a way that I feel like I'm contributing and I'm giving my best and not so much that I'm so tired out that I, I don't have a life outside of that. Right. And, and what I've you know often heard from people is that they go, 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 go throughout the day. So by the time they're done, they're so tired that by the time they kind of get in that car, you know, and if you're in Toronto, your commute's a lot longer, but, you know, um, and then they're basically kind of numb. And by the time they get home, with, you know, people with children, they're starting all over again. They're, you know, doing the, the activities and then they have to do, you know, pick up, drop off uh, meals, you know, all that whole stuff. So a lot of times people, um, they, they have no energy. They do what they need to do. And then they basically kind of drop, say at 8, 30, 9 o'clock, just to kind of start it all over again. Absolutely. So it's really about, for me, it's about helping people to have that rhythm. Um, and that's where that SOS principle comes into play. 
And, you know, SOS for me stands for situation, ourself, and support. So what am I going to do about the things that are causing my stress? What am I going to do to make sure that I stay healthy during those challenging times? And then what am I doing for support? Who can I talk to? Who can I vent to? Who can I have fun with? Um, you know, what am I doing for social connection? And, and we have to have strategies in all three of those areas in order to be able to manage our stress, uh, be resilient, and lead the life that we want to live. Do you find when you talk to different sectors, um, there is different stressors or do you find that the SOS principle can kind of work? You know, cause I know when I worked with healthcare, obviously you're talking about females, then you're talking policing, then you're talking Bay street. It's, 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 there's different stressors obviously in um, each environment with the SOS principle. Do you find that the application is easier in some environments compared to others? The SOS principle is, is, um, it came from me looking at all the different strategies over, you know, the first, you know, 10 years of my, my business. And it is universal. It doesn't matter if it is a small issue or if it's a major life challenge. It doesn't matter if it's at work or if it's at home. And it doesn't matter if it's healthcare or, uh, you know, emergency services or finance. The idea is to be able to ask the, the three questions. And so the three questions that go with that are, what am I going to do about it? How am I going to make sure that I, I'm okay? What, you know, how am I going to take care of myself? And who's there to support me? And mm -hmm. so when you can ask those questions and find the answers to those, those answers are your strategies. Those answers are your tools in your tool belt. And making sure that you have enough of those tools and a variety of those tools to be able to handle all of those situations. Makes, makes a lot of sense, right? Because like I, I have to call it the ABCs, right? So each one of us interprets events, like something happens, I tell myself something about it, I respond emotionally, and then the outcome is my behavior. And a lot of times people aren't even aware, you know, like it's the same kind of pattern and they're maybe misinterpreting something. So um, when, when you go into environments um, where there maybe is a morale issue, let's say, Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, obviously we all have stress, right? We, you and I wouldn't have gotten out of bed and you wouldn't have been in Wawa and back to, you know, you know, get back into the stream of things. Um, to get out of bed, we obviously have something called use stress, which is positive. And then, of course, we have negative stress. So with uh, environments that are, say, that where there's morale issues, how is it... Um, that you kind of do approach the same way or do you kind of work structurally with the organization um, in different ways that say maybe compared to an environment that's pretty relatively positive? I work with both. So I work with both the employees to find the strategies that are going to work for them. And I work with the leadership teams for them to be able to look at how to, what, what's happening within our team and how can we manage those. The, the trap that we sometimes fall into as leaders is that we're always looking for the big issues. Uh, to, to try to manage. And, um, you know, whether they're, they're implementing a change or, you know, somebody has gone off on sick leave or they're looking for big things, but sometimes it's the little things that can make all of the difference. And I'll give an example. I was working with one particular team and we were talking about the sources of stress. And one of the things that came up was the stapler. It's for like the stapler, uh, you know, but what, what it came down to is for this one particular team, they didn't have a lot of resources. And so they had a, one stapler that the whole team was using and everybody kept trying to figure out where the dumb stapler was because it wasn't put back in the right spot. And here's, you know, it's a dollar 49 or two forty nine, you know, to go to, you know, staples and pick one up. But there was processes in place 
that prevented them from just going out and getting it. So there was a lot of red tape and there was, you know, whose job was it and, and you know, all of these things. And so when, sometimes when we're looking at things, it's not necessarily the issue. So the stapler was part of the issue, but it was also the red tape and the process and, and you know, people not putting things back. And, and there was lots of similar issues to that. Um, but sometimes we're trying to solve like the big thing. And sometimes it's, it's the little things that we need to look at. And so the best way to do that is as a leadership team is to have conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, what is it that's irritating? What is it that's frustrating? What is it that we can do to make it better? And we may not be able to solve everything, but even having the conversations, let the employees know that there's understanding, that there's care and there's compassion. And we're going to try to do our very best. For the employees, being able to vent that out and have somebody listening, sometimes just being able to say it helps them to get it off their chest. And then it's about, okay, what's the impact that this is having? How can we minimize that impact? And then what are we going to do to kind of keep that team morale up? What can we do to build those supports? What can we do to let let you know and let us know um, how we can rely on each other? You know, that's that's so true with a lot of the organizations that I've worked with. One thing that I found, and I'm just wondering how you kind of work with this, is sometimes, you know, C-suite or senior executives, they've been hired for a certain skill set. Um, you know, when they communicate, less is more. Um, you know, it's, it's limited time. You know, you get the executive one sheet kind of a synopsis of something that's going on. And then you have the middle manager who is often the, type, the person that's kind of caught in the muddle. I often say they're so pivotal. And then you have the front line. So when you work with, um, with organizations, do you work a lot with kind of how they communicate to the front line? I talk about how important the communication is and how to minimize the stress around it, but I'm not a, I'm not a communications expert per se. So right. oftentimes they need somebody to come in and help them manage the challenges or the changes and take them through those steps and what are the processes. That's not, that's not my sweet spot. My sweet okay. spot is really about thinking of having them just become more aware of what the impact may be. And part of that impact, they may be assuming one thing and it may be a completely different thing. So if I, in my stress response, am a stomp, scream and shouter, um, I'm going to look for people who respond in a similar way. And that's how I'm going to recognize when people are under stress. But there is a whole group of people who that's not how they respond. Mm-hmm. You know, they get headaches, they get upset stomach, they keep it to themselves, they withdraw. Um, and if, if I'm not looking for that, I'm going to miss that they're also stressed out. And so part of this is really being aware of the uh, varied responses people have when they're stressed, when they're challenged, when they're frustrated. And how do you then help to minimize those situations so that, that we can start to deal with those, those health issues? They may be physical health issues. They may be uh, more along the lines of depression or anxiety. But, it's, but we need to be aware that there's such a big range of things that people experience when they get stressed out. As a leader, it's being able to recognize that. And then when we recognize it, okay, we need to respond to that. And so to recognize that, you know, like we have three responses, fight, flight, or freeze. But if mine is freeze and yours is flight, um, hence a lot of dissension can probably develop. So you're educating people about what they are, 
how to maybe potentially recognizing it in others and, may, and probably just how to be uh, kind and gentle, I would think, in a way, because if I'm expecting one response and I'm getting another, the perception might be that that person doesn't care. But in fact, they're just trying mm -hmm. to kind of protect themselves to be able to get through the storm the same mm -hmm. as, uh, as you are you know, with, in, in kind of dialoguing. I'll give an example. Um, there was a situation where I um, was, uh, you know, in an organization and the organization was going through massive, massive changes. And the person that I reported to, um, she froze. She literally froze. So she was leading her team and, um, you know, just would, would, would deliver, like would kind of say, bottom line, this is what has to get done. No backstory, no nothing. And of course, like most of us, there's massive change. So we just need to know something. But she was kind of delivering from a perspective based on her personality, kind of what she, she was trying to keep her head above water is, is interesting. And, you know, the rest of us were freaking out because we were like, okay, this is massive change. You know, expecting, you know, 10 times the output compared, to, you're taking away resources and we're expected to keep the just like you know a lot of um changes and you know it was it was a merger so it was huge um and in retrospect you know um most of uh, most of the team was very very stressed and a lot of people end up leaving uh, the organization and then eventually what there was a dialogue that i had with this particular uh, person and she said that she was under such a massive stress uh, that she had to take time off uh, soon after. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, you know, when I talk to leaders, one of the things I talk about is your their biggest um, their biggest challenge is also their biggest opportunity. When they know how people respond uh, in stressful situations, when they know kind of what gets them going and what you know stops them from moving forward. Uh, when they can identify that for each person on their team, that's when they're going to be the most successful. You know, when they when they know kind of, and there's a lot of self-discovery that needs to happen as well. So they need to be aware of, okay, what do they do? And they also need to inform their team of that too. So, you know, hey, when I get under stress, I may get loud. That doesn't mean that I'm angry. It doesn't mean that I'm attacking. That's just how I have to get rid of some of this emotional kind of stuff. Um, when we dialogue about how we respond, when we dialogue about what pushes us over that, that edge, um, it's, it makes things so much clearer. It makes it so much easier to work with each other. Um, I do a, a presentation on handling attitudes in, in difficult people, and it's about figuring out what does that person need. So mm -hmm. that person who stomps, screams, and shouts, they, it's not that they're trying to uh, take something away from somebody else. What they're trying to do is they're trying to get control for themselves. They're trying to either bring the situation into control or they're trying to bring themselves into control. You know, there's other people who need recognition. There's other people who need to be heard. And so when you kind of have that understanding of the team and what their needs are, it makes things so much easier and it helps to decrease that stress. And I would think that when you're talking about um, discovery or, or, or kind of looking at yourself in reference to other people, that in and of itself probably just makes people come closer. Yeah. It does. I mean, you're, you're able to say that's where the compassion comes from, right? That's where mm -hmm. we can say, God, you know, I, I get that there's, there's too much on the plate right now. What can I do to help? Um, you know, when we talk about strategies, it's, it's learning how to communicate in a way that the other person can hear you. So part of that is uh, learning how to say no. And no doesn't mean that you're refusing to do something. No means 
you know, if, if you're that yes person who always says, I can do it, I can do it, and everybody starts to give stuff to you, no may mean, I can't do it now, but I can do it in a half an hour from now. Or I can't get to it today, but I can get to it tomorrow. And being a little bit more realistic about our time frames, being a little bit more realistic about how much we can handle, knowing when our level has gotten to the point where either we're going to um, have a health issue or we're going to have a mental health issue or it's not going to be conducive to being as productive as we need to be. When we know that, then it makes it so much easier for us to be assertive. It makes it so much easier for us to delegate or to organize ourselves or to, to manage how we, we approach the workplace. Absolutely. And that, that's so true, you know, because I think it's managing ourselves and recognizing what resources we need and in what way do we need it. Sometimes, you know, some people like you're right, they may just need a kind word or say, okay, we're in this together. Other people are like, give me the facts, give me the timeline, <laughs> tell me, and just basically get out of my way. So it's, it's really kind of knowing the different personalities on your team. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, something that I often um, would hear from employees from frontline is that, I would often just see my manager when there was an issue. <laughs> so people kind of see the manager coming down the corridor and their thought is, oh my goodness, who's, who's, who, who's going to get talked to today versus kind of touching base all the time. So is that something, again, you see a lot in organizations? Yeah, and if we set up our team that way, all we're hearing is neg negative thoughts, negative responses, and and. And that becomes your work world. Is it's your work world becomes negative, you know? And we can only take so much of that. And so, as a leader, you need to really be um, promoting hearing the positive. And not that you want just you know, you know, all smiles and sunshine, but you you want you don't want to only talk to people about the negative. So, um, you know, we talk about when you know something about somebody, it makes it easier for you to connect on a different level. It, that doesn't mean that you need to know all of the dirty details about their life, but you need to know what what they enjoy. So I talked about, I have two sons, um, you know, so, uh, and when I was, you know, as they were growing up, they were in competitive hockey. So you have somebody like that, like having those conversations so that you can um, engage with that person in something positive, not just something that's, you know, here's an issue, here's a problem, here's a challenge, what are we going to do about it? So almost kind of getting a pulse on what's happening within your teams. Um, and obviously work has to get done, like you're, to your point. You, you, yes, you have points of connection, but at the end of the day, you know, whatever uh, widget has to get out or whatever customer service, whatever product you're pushing out, it has to get done. But taking the time just to, to kind of know a bit about employees, it's helpful. It is. And also um, when people get stressed, it may not be about work. It may be about the other aspects of their life. So if you know a little bit about that and they say something like I haven't a new parent, I haven't slept in weeks. <laughs> that's going to make, you know, a difference on the way that they handle stuff. And so maybe you can then supply them with resources or maybe you have a, an employee who's in a, caught in a caregiving situation, um, you know, with, with children and with the elderly parents and they're really struggling with how do I, how do I support my, my parent? you can provide them with resources. You don't have to be the resource, but you can be the connector. You know, what's available in the community? What do we have as far as our EAP? What's available in, in our benefits package? Um, knowing that kind of information helps you to be the support for your team so that you can um, be the most productive and successful as you can be. 
Now, can I ask you a question, seeing that you work so much with companies, do you find that, obviously we know that anxiety and depression is on the rise, right? So um, what, what are companies saying about the rise and what kind of things are people implementing or considering doing to kind of, you know, circumvent the kind of the high levels of short-term and long-term disability claims that companies are experiencing? So the first part I want to address is it's not necessarily that they're on the rise. So our rates are, are, are still pretty stable. The, 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 um, the good news, though, is that people are getting the help and support that they need mm-hmm. more than they ever have before. They're, they're feeling more uh, comfortable for bringing those issues forward, whereas before people would just quit and walk away and nobody ever knew that there was anything going on. Um, you know, and, and they would feel unsupported. And that's when we have you know, issues around uh, suicide. So for me, the, the excitement is and the, and the joy is around people are feeling more supported or they have more resources that they can connect to. So as companies, um, you know, understanding what that looks like from on a scale. And so when people get stressed out, how do they respond in that stress? And some people will end up with heart attacks and strokes and diabetes and cancer. And are you tracking those things? And, and we've been pretty good about kind of connecting our benefits to things that are going on and providing supports. Now it's looking at the other aspect, the, what had the stigma and the taboo before, we're starting to remove that so that we can look at, you know, what are our, our usages around antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications? And, and is that on the rise? Or, or you know, is there something going on that's, that's that may be precipitating those kinds of things. And even before we get there, well, if we know that we have people that are vulnerable to that, what can we do to um, support them along the way? So do they know that they can come and talk to me? Um, you know, the, the, the saddest part for me is, you know, when people don't feel like they can talk to their, their colleagues and their, their, their uh, direct manager or their human resources because they're afraid that if they say something, then now that everything that they do becomes suspect. Uh, they're not, you know, decisions that they made they're not going to be sound decisions anymore so people kind of doubt them or or they won't feel like they're um eligible for a promotion so they keep all of that stuff hidden and and uh, a good manager is one that says you know what we know that this is happening and if you're feeling you know feeling like you're out of control or your emotions or or things just don't feel right come and see me you know we can make accommodations that's what we're here for and those accommodations you know, don't necessarily mean that you're going to end up in the hospital. They don't necessarily mean that you're going to be taking medications. Those accommodations may mean that we shorten your day for a couple of weeks or, mm-hmm. or that you're allowed to do some work from home or, or that we can maybe take some of this off your plate so that you can only focus on this for a while. So I think the, um, you know, enlightened companies see that and they, they're starting to, to train their leaders and their managers on how to have those supportive conversations. I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. And it's, you know, um, I do a lot of, uh, um, or have done a lot of work uh, at a university here locally. And it's, you know, they, there's so much people presenting um, and they might say it's anxiety and depression to your point, but it may be stress. It may be so many other things. So I think just the permissiveness to say to people, you know, it's a, it's about being away from home. It's about, not knowing how to relax. It's about not knowing how to unplug those types of things. But, you know, if you don't know what it is, you might label it. I'm stressed. I'm, I'm anxious. 
that's maybe why they go to their family physicians because they're not sleeping. Um, they're down, you know, um, but uh, definitely I think the, the openness around the stigma of what it is, which is people are coping with a lot more on a daily basis. One of the things that I encourage uh, leaders to do is uh, use, and I call it ALEC. So it's, a, it's a, an acronym that stands for ask, listen, encourage, check in. And if you can start to, you know, just, you know, if you notice differences in behaviors or differences in attitudes, ask what's going on. Listen to the responses, encourage them to kind of, um, to seek other resources and then uh, check in. It's not just a one and done kind of conversation. You're, you're checking in, you're, you're seeing if things are okay. And it's not, it's not, um, you're pushing, 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 but it's, it's, hey, um, did you said you were going to, you know, go and talk to so-and-so. Did you talk to so-and-so? Is there anything that I can support you, you know, with right now? So I, Beverly, I'm going to assume that when you work with companies, um, you might do a keynote, but you might also work with uh, training from your senior executive all the way to the front line. Is that kind of what some of the training and workshops that you do? Yeah, I actually, most of my business is on um, training and workshops within within companies as opposed to keynotes um, in associations and stuff. So okay. for me, I'd rather, uh, not that I, I don't like doing the keynotes, but I, I really like having a team together so that they start to get common language, common understanding, uh, looking at, at common um, strategies that they can use to support each other. And, and uh, um, for me, help having a leadership team who knows what kind of to look for and an employee team that knows kind of how to, to um, use that SOS principle, when those come together, that's when we see a lot of changes occur. So you would work with them sometimes for upwards of what, six months or something? Would you, would you do trainings and kind of go back in and see how they're doing and bring teams together to kind of, um, you know, help them get along better or be able to share a bit more? Yeah, so sometimes it's doing a series of different workshops and it could be, uh, you know, often a, um, I start in, if a, if a company's just launching their wellness program, uh, it may be going in and, and starting with a harnessing your energy type workshop. So how do you, how do you deal with stress at kind of in your workstation? And, and what are some of the hands-on strategies? And from that, then they, they may indicate on the evaluations that they're looking for more information on balance or how to deal with difficult people. And then that, that would be the next step. And, and it may be something on depression. So um, for some companies, they'll, they'll go all the way through those kind of workshops. Other companies are, are already know exactly what they want me to do. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, we have a lot of negativity within the company. And so they go right to, you know, training the leadership team and the employee team on, on what that looks like and what are some of the strategies. And then other companies aren't quite sure. So they'll, um, you know, they'll test things out. And it may be a, a year before I go back and see them again. And so every company is a bit different. Sometimes it's a one-off one and sometimes it's a, an ongoing basis year over year that I'm, I'm coming in and doing presentations. So with, uh, with leadership, what, what are some of the most difficult kind of barriers that sometimes, let's say you get called in and there is definitely a lack of knowledge around stress or, you know, anxiety or depression or whatever it is. So you get called in because there is a, an issue, but the leadership team maybe isn't seeing it in a clear way. What, what, how do you work with a, um, like a, a senior leadership team to kind of, I'm going to use the word, bring them along or have them see it for what it is. 
it's actually fairly easy to bring them along when you start uh, looking at their bottom line. And so when you can look at their benefits usage, when you can look at the time off, when you look at customer service issues, when you look at uh, productivity issues, uh, job turnover, um, uh, presenteeism, when you can put it into those terms, right, right. then they say, yeah, we, we see all of these things. And okay, so you see those things, you know it's having a negative impact on your bottom line. You as a leader then can do something about this. It's, it's, um, it's not that it's, it's not that there's a magic formula for, for curing it, but there are strategies that we can use that will definitely impact that. So if we're being more supportive, if we're being more open, if we're being really clear about what the expectations are, if we're being caring and compassionate, all of those things together will help to m minimize the impact of some of those issues. And so you're looking at a business case, basically, you're looking at the incidental absences, all that stuff, and then saying, you know, based on this particular year or quarter, this is kind of what the loss amount is. How do you quantify that with companies? Um, actually, I don't even have to quantify it. Usually it's something that the HR department through their benefits um, provider, or the right, right. provider can give those hard numbers. So it's not me making it up. It's it's them providing the information and saying, okay, let's like this, but this isn't the only reason. And I think that's the other thing is, yeah, we have these hard numbers, that, but that can't be the only reason that you do this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because you, and, and most companies have somewhere in their mission, vision, and values that their employees are their number one asset. And if you try right. to believe that, then you have to find ways of helping them be as productive and successful as possible. And in order to do that, you, it's not that we're making life easy. We're, we're getting rid of the obstacles and the barriers that are, that are preventing them from being as productive and engaged and successful as possible. So I, really, that's my role as a leader is to let my employees shine. And, mm -hmm. you know, look, there's very few people that ever go into a work world and say, I'm in here to do a crap, as crappy of a job as possible. <laughs> You know, most people want to go in and they want to feel good about the work that they do and knowing that they matter, knowing how they fit within the organization, being able to um, feel connected to the people around them, uh, having periods of calm, all of those things. Uh, as a leader, if you can manage those, you will have successful and engaged employees. It makes it makes so much sense, right? Like, I mean, it just it's it's not just like you, you're right. It can't it can't be about the bottom line. Yes, you have to have that frame, but it's really about, like you said, your mission, your vision, your values, and and people. We all want to do better at whatever we're doing at work. I mean, I think people that are happy, they go over and above, you know, to be able to deliver, you know. And I, I know having been been a manager at multiple uh, different uh, environments, people are happy. You can tell, right? That they, you know, you don't have to follow you don't have to follow up with them as much. They kind of know what's expected of them. But the people that are disgruntled, you know, they they're like an ink blot, right? They they can spread um, kind of their their dissension and their discomfort and you know um, what they're not happy with, and that could be that that grows really quickly. Yeah, that negativity is so highly contagious mm -hmm. and um, you know it you may go in and you may be in a great mood but you, you hear a whole bunch of people that are yakking and talking and negative and and you may not have gone in with that but as soon as you kind of are exposed to that you're gonna walk away with that so um, being able to understand 
what motivates people, being able to understand what people need from the workplace, being able to understand how to have an environment that people feel um, good is, is, is the role of a leader. Um, you know, we have, sometimes you say the soft skills are, are these people skills, but the soft skills are the, the most important thing that a leader can, can manage. Now, quick question. Um, in reference to kind of, like when you're talking about stressors and, and education and knowledge and introspection, all, all really, really good things. When you're, when you're seeing issues, though, that are kind of leading on to potentially going on to other things like actual mental health, is that something that you would go back to, to leadership and recommend certain things back to them um, about different things that have to be implemented? Um, well, we do here in Canada have the, you know, the psychologically healthy workplace recommendations. And so for me, though, it's, there really isn't a difference between the physical and the mental. You know, we, we, we separate it out, but it really, you know, our brain is just an organ in our body that, and when, when it develops something uh, along the lines of depression, that's no different than heart disease. It's no different than diabetes. Yeah. Something in our body isn't working right. And so for me, it's, it's understanding that when people are stressed, when people um, are feeling out of control, when they, when they don't have the tools and the strategies, these things are more likely to happen. We all have a genetic predisposition. Stress is going to bring that about. And so for some people, like I said, heart disease. For another person, Crohn's disease, colitis. Somebody else, it may be an anxiety issue. Mm -hmm. So we need to understand that that's the manifestation of, of whatever else is going on. And it may not necessarily just be at work. It may, like I said, it's, it could be all these other things that are happening. And mm -hmm. we need to find ways of being able to put strategies in place where people feel comfortable reaching out, talking about things, getting the help that they need, utilizing strategies that are going to be the most effective for them. And um, so when, when we see lots of these things going on, going back to those questions, you know, are people feeling like they have to hide? Mm -hmm. Are people feeling like they can, or, you know, do they feel comfortable reaching out? And, and does your benefit plan support that? Um, I'm a, a, a spokesperson right now for Expedia. Okay. Expedia uh, does a survey called vacation deprivation. So looking at, you know, are people taking their vacation? And, and my job is to comment on, on those results. And, and, you know, what I say is a, an enlightened employer, a good employer is one who's looking at the vacation usage and not looking at it to say, um, that this is an inconvenience, but they're saying, hey, you know, you haven't taken your vacation yet this year, and we're almost at the end of the year. What's going on? Because we know that we don't want burned out employees. Yes, it may have made things easier on the team when somebody's not taking time off, but we also know that that can't possibly be good for their mental health, uh, their physical health. So we, you know, an, a light employer is looking at that and saying, you know, you get the vacation, you need to take the vacation. I think one of the worst things that was ever implemented is being is paying people off for their vacation. Mm, good point. Then, you know, we're giving them money, and yes, they may really need the money, but that's not giving them the downtime. That's not giving them the ability to um, focus on their family or their own health or, or just taking a break. Because we know when people come back from vacation, they're more creative, they're, they're um, better at communicating. Like, there's so many benefits from it that... Uh, we need to make sure that they're, they're following that. You know, and I worked uh, with Morneau Chappelle for years. And, um, you know, one thing that most, a lot of companies that, like you said, the, the enlightened ones is that they looked at the utilization, the higher it was, the better it was. Because what it was showing them was 
lot of people, and it generally was day-to-day problems, Beverly. It was like, um, you know, relationship problems. It was work-life balance. It generally wasn't 5% of the data across Canada was work re- actually work-related. Generally, it was everything else that was going on in the person's life. And um, some companies would say, oh, it's, it's a well above the norm. Let's just, we want to keep it below the norm. And other companies would say, no, triple it. Because to me, that shows me that people are coming forward. They're dealing with the day-to-day problems. It's not anything that's uh, catastrophic, right? And uh, they were, they're dealing with early, early prevention versus, you know, them keeping it, not taking time off, dealing with the stressors, and then it ended up being something that ends up making them go off on short term. Um, so I think you're right. That enlightened employers de- definitely looking at what resources are there, how, how easy is it for people to get it, and... Um, you know, are we making sure that our managers are capable of creating that conversation to create that warm transfer? I know, are they easy for people to take that time off or are they making them feel guilty for taking that time off? Right, right. We have a, we, in the workplace, we have the ability to have flex time. You know, we've, we've moved away from face time to mm-hmm. productivity, getting things done. And, and again, an enlightened employer is looking at that. Now, not every job can be done that way, but those that can, it just allows people to manage their schedule in such a way where they don't feel so restricted and they can feel good about how they put it, put it in. But we also know that people who have that flex time, most people actually put in more time into their work than if they were going from you know nine to five. And so there's they get more from them and people feel happier because they have that ability. Uh, one of the other kind of things with that, and I talk about um, vacation time, but also enlightened companies look at it and go, okay, are we encroaching in on other times? And so one of the companies that I really like, what they do is they shut their servers off at uh, 5.30. Mm-hmm. So you can you can compose emails, but you can't send emails. Right, right. That only works if you're a company that's in the same time zone. If you've got you know offices across the world, that's not going to necessarily work, but, but, it, but what's the message? And so are you expected to be available 24 hours a day, seven days a week and answering messages? If you're the leader, are you sending messages at two o'clock in the morning because you had this great idea? Well, that <laughs> speaks volumes because then people feel like they, you know, they're waiting, you know, and if I don't get back to you right away, are you going to think that I'm not doing my job? So having conversations, you may have that great idea and you may need to send that email, but can you put a time on it that, that it arrives? Can you let people know, hey, I'm going to send this because I can't get it off my mind, but you don't need to respond until you get to work the next day. Like, so re- congruence then, congruence from the top all the way to the front line yeah. that says, you know, it's not just a policy somewhere in HR stuck away somewhere, but it's actually a living document where we, you can look at your leaders and say, oh, wow, you know, you're, you're, you're actually respecting work-life balance or you're respecting people's time or those types of things. So I think that's, that's uh, definitely something that I, I know when I was in the EAP world was very, very important. And they started to have to implement certain policies to have people, you know, not sending emails at lots of different times. And, and then of course people get stressed because they'd get up first thing in the morning, they put on their, um, their computer or their phone and they, you know, they get like 10 messages before they kind of open their eyes, those types of things. That's right. And so, you know, it is modeling good behavior from the top down, mm-hmm. from the bottom up. And so, you know, what the leader, what the leader does, you know, what the owner does, the, the senior management is going to do is what the you know middle management, which the frontline are going to do, and what 
what's happening in the front line impacts all the way back up. So it's, it's about conversation and concurrency all the way through. Well, Beverly, this has been uh, an awesome time. Now, I know uh, people listening will probably want to know how they can get connect with you um, if they have, um, if there are small companies or even uh, bigger companies are interested in some of the um, trainings that you're talking about. So can you tell everyone they, where they can get a hold of you or what are some of the things that you offer through uh, your training um, at, with the SOS principle? So a couple of things. Um, the website is worksmart, worksmart.com. And on there, you can find out more about the presentations. You can get a hold of me in that way. Uh, for companies that are wanting just some background information, uh, I just recently launched uh, four um, e-learning programs on uh, mental illness, depression, anxiety, and substance use. And so, and it talks about the ALEC model. It talks about how to, it's really focused on how to be a supportive um, either colleague or leader to, to those people. So. Those are definitely available and uh, blog posting. So there's lots of information that goes out every week. Uh, the other thing that's really new that I'm, I, I'm having fun with are my Alexa briefings. So, so uh, you know, you're a little Alexa and it's apparently gonna be the hot kind of item this coming year. Uh, so I put out a daily tip on kind of mental health related issues, so. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again. And um, I, I know I've gained uh, a lot today just by listening to you. It kind of reminds me of that world that I've been lived in for a long time. And uh, for anyone listening, um, you know, just remember that uh, the more knowledgeable you are in reference to your particular uh, style of stress, that helps you kind of get what you need by going inside and listening, but to also recognize whether it's a, a work colleague, it's a a child, a spouse, the better you're able and aware to kind of get a sense of what they're about, then you're able to kind of um, kind of um, re redirect your behavior so that you're meeting their needs and vice versa, they're meeting yours. So again, thanks again, uh, Beverly, for being with us um, and uh, for everyone for tuning in for Authentic uh, Living with Roxanne. And if you're wanting more information on me, you can reach me at roxannederhodge.com forward slash um, uh, blueprint where you can download a free course on how to get authentically connected to yourself. So take care everyone and we will talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxannederhage.com slash blueprint. We'll see you next time. Unauthentic Living with Roxanne.